Hi, and welcome back to Good Romance. I'm so glad you're listening. Uh, it's been a while since I put out an episode. I intended initially to certainly make more, uh, but this year kind of got away from me. It's 2023 now, and I thought it might be about time to start a new season. So this is the last episode of season one of Good Romance, and stay tuned to the end of the episode for our announcement about season two, a very exciting one. Uh, Again, thank you so much for listening. Today's episode is one that I recorded almost a full year ago with Erin LaRosa, who is just an amazing guest, and I so enjoyed having her talk about her book and also Alexis Hall's Boyfriend Material, one of my favorite books that I've read for this podcast. So I'm so excited for you to hear it. I hope you enjoy, and stay tuned for the announcement for season two. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for joining us. So Erin LaRosa is a writer of two nonfiction books, and recently her new romance book is coming out in July, July 26th, from Harlequin. Hi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about Alexis Hall. Yeah, so I didn't, I knew about him. I had not Mm -hmm. read any of his work until now, although now I'm going to be voraciously getting whatever I get my hands on. I actually just checked uh, (laughs) Rosalind Palmer out. So I'm just, I'm definitely going to get to this, that one, but I didn't want to read it before we talked about this one because I didn't want to get my wires crossed, you know, but I had heard of him. This was like a book that I was like, I'll get around to it because, you know, it's a kind of occupational hazard in my world. (laughs) (laughs) Surrounded by books. What a burden. Constantly, constantly. And I mean, I have like, I'm really I've been really good I have no more than slightly double digit things checked out physically because at a certain point people in your life are like you have a problem but I (laughs) but the problem is that ebooks don't take up space (laughs) I know isn't that the truth it's funny because in my home library I really only have like two shelves of our bookshelf that have romance books on them but I read romance books voraciously but it's a lot of like audiobooks and ebooks so I actually don't have like that many hard copies oh yeah I would say that like out of my collection a lot of it is like sentimental books from when I was a kid and YA books Mm -hmm. which is because you know for 10 years I've been reading YA and so I have somewhat of a collection but when you move as frequently as you do as a young person because you know for the first like 10 years of my adult life I moved like every other year which is just so terrible um Mm -hmm. but like now I'm like, oh, I have space. I can buy books again. This is going to be a, a mess. Like my husband is like, oh no. <laughs> like one of his promises to me is that I get to have a library in the new house someday, you know, in the, in the yeah. dream house. Yeah, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just I, love, like, I love thinking about a dream library. That's yes. the best. There'll be really good heavy duty curtains to protect from sun yeah. damage. Like this is like, uh, yeah, I am Beauty and the Beast, like ladder that moves across the books. Well, that's a very <laughs> impractical library, not the Beauty and the Beast <laughs> library in general. I just, I have a really big yen for libraries that are both practical and beautiful. Too mm. much sun exposure is death. It's not going to work. Well, you know, you're a librarian, so you must also, do you have like a thing where you prefer checking out books from the library uh, more than buying them? Well, ethically speaking, I want to support authors, but I also like, you know, want to promote the librarianship and like being part of the library profession means that I am around books all the time. And so I get to see everything and I want to read stuff in the physical format a lot of the time. Ethically speaking, unless it's an author that is like one of my, my top faves, I typically yeah. will read it first. And if I love it, I will buy it because there's books that I just, I love and I want to have them physically. Even if I never read it again, I want to have a copy like in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some books that I'm like, oh, I just want to read this and I want to have read it and I want to enjoy it. But it, it's really more of a, a 
like a Marie Kondo situation for me. Like I can't have too many things because having stuff makes me so deeply unhappy. But then again, I'm also a pack rat and a clutter freak. So as you can understand, I'm I'm a very conflicted person. (laughs) I think we have a lot in common. You're describing me to a T and we also have two cats and uh, got them around the same time. So yeah, I I feel you on a deep level here. Yeah, I think we're going to be friends. It'll be fun. I enjoy that. I I collect people. I'm just like, you're my friend now. It's like being... um, it's like being impressed into service by the Navy. <laughs> it just kind of happens. And then 10 years I'm later, happy like, to be what your happened? Skipper? I'm happy to be your <laughs> skipper. I don't know any Navy terms. I hope that's a Navy term. Oh, it's not, it's not a deal breaker. I don't know anything about it either. But <laughs> I, I really loved this book. So far, it has been all hits. I've read two other books um, for this podcast so far that have both been like super amazing. Although I think this one might be my favorite. I think this book comes off as like, this book comes off as just such a labor of love. Like reading this book, I can Mm -hmm. tell that it was written with so much care. And like this, this book feels like, oh, I could not write something like this in 10 years if I tried, which is, it's one of those books where it's like, oh, I wish, I wish that I'd written this. And I know that I do not now have the talent to do so. (laughs) Maybe someday. I know. I remember when I picked this book up, this was my first Alexis Hall book. And, and since reading it, I've, I've read many more of his things, but, um, and he has a lot of fun titles. There's one called like how to bang the billionaire. And it's a whole series and it's like how to, how to keep the billionaire, how to marry the billionaire. It's a really fun series, but he has such a specific way of writing and such a voicey way where like every, almost every line he writes has a joke in it. And it's really fascinating to read because it feels like, you know, I, I write rom-coms like my, my book for better or worse is a rom-com and those scenes where you're, you're getting to the humor they are hard to write it's like you know you have to really think about what will make someone laugh but I consistently it's like every page of boyfriend material it's just like constantly laughing and it's also I think the way that he built the universe here like with the side characters is so special I like love his side characters and I was very happy to spend time with them I like love Bridget, his best friend who works in publishing and is like making a lot of really funny unintentional commentary on on writers, on the publishing industry. And I also love the uh, character Alex, who he works with in his office, who like never understands simple jokes and is dating kind of like a vapid heiress and um it's just like a whole world that you get swept into. And I, I love every page of this book. I've read it, I think three or four times. Oh yeah. I mean, this is my, I'm reading it a second time now just because I want it to feel fresh coming in. Um, yeah. And I'm not tired at all. Sometimes when you read a book for like the millionth time, like I know a lot of us read Harry Potter, like six and seven times growing up, you can uh-huh. like skim parts of it and you know what's happening and you're skimmed to the dialogue. Cause that's like the fun meaty part. But like, Right. Even if I wanted to, I feel like I couldn't. I agree with you 100% on the world building. You don't normally like for realistic fiction think, ah, oh, world building is important. But in this book, like the craft of it, the craft, like the infrastructure <laughs> of this book, it just, it, I'm quelling. Um, It's just <laughs> such a, a beautifully written and like, especially with the side characters, I think that's one of the great strengths of this book because a lot of the time side characters in romance can, you know, kind of be lazily done. Like you have like, oh, this is, their nephew-in-law and they live together and he's kind of snappy like but this book like it's 
it's just so deep. Like you have all these like deeply British eccentric people. And even though like sometimes it does feel a little bit mean, it's like that line that um, that Oliver says, where he's like, I, I don't mind being funny. I just don't want to be mean. And I feel like yeah. that's, a lot of this comes off as like very loving of like that, that British eccentrism that you can only really get when you watch like BBC shows from like the nineties back when they weren't as concerned <laughs> about like gay baiting. Like if you ever watched, if you watched, um, are you being served or uh, as time goes by? No, but now I want to. Are they in the tone of this? It's not as campy and gay, but um, are you yeah. being served has like some queer coding. But uh, I, when I was a kid, we didn't have cable. And so I just watched BBC shows on um, PBS after like you know, on Saturday evenings after Shabbat was over. And so I just watched like every episode of As Time Goes By, which is this great show star- starring Judy Dench. She used to be on television. It. It's hard to believe, but like, I think this came out in the 90s or the 80s, but it was a million years ago, obviously not that long ago, like in the grand scheme of things, but in pop culture a billion years ago. And there's yeah. this like deeply camp character who is obviously played as a straight male, but like he's like in um, publicity and Alistair Deacon, I love him so much. Um, and he would he would so easily cross over into this book. There's just something deeply like amazing about really old BBC shows that like weren't concerned about appealing to an American audience. They just leaned so heavily into being just intrinsically weirdly British. Yeah, I think I understand that a little bit because I used to watch um, this show called The Mighty Boosh, which was um, starring... Uh, Ni- I think his name is Nigel from the Brit- Great British Baking Show, like the host, um, Nigel. Yeah, yeah, I know and- who you're talking about. He was, on, um, okay. he was on Taskmaster as well. Oh, great. Okay, yeah. He had this insane show called The Mighty Boosh, and it was so weird and lovely and not for an American audience, but I remember finding it in college and just watching it and being like, this is the weirdest show I've ever seen in my life, but it was so funny um but would never be made in America oh yeah and I also love that like not everybody has to be hot on old British TV these (laughs) days it's a little different but like on American TV even if you're like 80 and like you're like the the stories about your will you have to be hot I love that on British TV not everybody's hot they're just normal folks (laughs) yeah sometimes that is true true. I just Um, I think it's because that's like the British culture that I have I have absorbed is like the older TV and some books. This book just comes off as just so deeply eccentrically British. I feel like I picked the exact right book for us to read without knowing any of your background with uh, British TV. So oh yeah, it's this deep sentimental for thing you. for me. So you really, you really got this. You <laughs> you crazy. knew the assi- you didn't know what the assignment was, but you nailed it. <laughs> well, you know my favorite. Um, well, the first like real kind of like romance that I read and consumed was Bridget Jones's Diary, Aww. and um, I kind of became very into like just British romance anything after that I was kind of like oh these people get it I need to like (laughs) tap more into this part of the world um and so when I was reading this book I kind of got a little bit of uh British Jones vibes like from his friend circle um and how involved they were in his love life um and like the character of his mom I thought was so wonderful and weird um 
but it felt it felt like kind of it gave me a little bit of nostalgia for that feeling that I had when I first watched Bridget Jones when I read this book I was like oh I feel like I'm kind of being transported back to this feeling of like stepping into another world that I'm not really part of like I'm not I'm not British I don't know all of the British isms but I really thoroughly enjoy engaging with it Oh, yeah. I think what I love so much about some of the characters is like the deep absurdity of it all. But it still yeah. comes off as so <laughs> earnest. Like Odile, the, the mom, is so real. Like, you know, mm-hmm. people who are as like just deeply strange as she is, you know, the the eccentrics. Yeah. And I, I love her. Like her basic thesis is just I don't give a fuck, which I love. I feel like many women um, because, you know, the societal pressure on women to give a crap about what everybody else thinks about them and to like fall into specific roles is so ingrained and she is like so deeply against it I love her her energy comes off as very like the kind of person who like has a tarot reader that she knows personally (laughs) and like is friends with and she doesn't like believe in it but she kind of does you know yeah yeah I'm I'm a little bit the same way when I read my astrology or horoscope I'm like oh yeah I I mean I believe in this but I do (laughs) I am so with you my brother and I have very close birthdays he's born one day earlier than me, but by two years. And I'm like, well, we're so different. How can we have very close to the same thing? But someone of course will be like, oh, well the moons or whatever. I don't know. I was just going to say, well, what's your moon (laughs) rise? I have no idea. I used to read the horoscopes. I don't really know mine either, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Astrology, but I, my, my mother-in-law is super into it. And like, like in like a vague kind of way though I don't think she really understands it either I think she just kind of likes the vibe which is fair you know like it's uh, that veil the veil of tears is real hard to get through do what makes you happy <laughs> yeah this book I feel like made me so deeply deeply happy I just heard that word and I was like oh this book makes me so happy that's why I keep rereading it I just feel yeah. like um it's such a pleasure to read this book and um I understand why why people love it I actually went on Goodreads to see like you know what the overall sentiments were and I feel like it has a real cultish following of people who are just like I am obsessed with everything about this book and I, I totally get it I think um, I was trying to think of like what my favorite parts were in this book and I think like for me some of them involve the side characters again or even parts where Luke is not even with Oliver which is sort of interesting like I really loved um the scene where Luke is like on a on a I guess a business date with these people who are trying to get money out of him or he's trying to get money out of them Um, Greg and Tamara I think it was thank you because I just thought it was such an interesting scene um how Alexis wrote that to kind of show also this I think like this book kind of walks the line sometimes really well on like showing things that exist in the world like homophobia and um but in a way where it's still deeply funny when you're reading it and it makes you see the thing that he's trying to point out but not in a super heavy-handed way like the scene still remains really fun and weird and bizarre. And he's showing these two very unique characters. But even when I'm reading those scenes, I'm like, wow, this is like so masterfully written and is so interesting and is great commentary. And I think Alexis does that super well. And I I just read his book, Something Fabulous, which is like a book where everyone in the book is 
gay. There's not really a straight character in the book. And he he does it in that book again too, where he kind of highlights people having homophobia, like that kind of stuff existing in the world, but he does it in such a lighthearted way that I, I think it's like incredibly interesting um, as a writer to read. I mean, I think particularly the scene with his boss, the um, the yes. doctor of entomology, also yes. stuck out for me like that. She's like, oh, I don't care, but our donors right. don't care, and I need you to yes. not be, I need you to be the right kind of gay. I think that, like, mm-hmm. I wrote in my notes that, like, the casual homophobia that is, like, politically still uh, acceptable to, like, the vast majority of people, like, you know, the gays can, they're allowed to do their thing, but they shouldn't, like, get married or have kids like you know like there's that like level of homophobia that is still very acceptable like to say you probably wouldn't like want anybody to hear you saying it widely but like you know amongst people of a similar ethos I thought like it's very real without like being because it's it's so absurd the way that they say it and the those characters are so ridiculous that you have to laugh at the same time yeah I think I think Alexis is a total master of that. And, you know, like a lot of romance books that I'm reading right now, especially like ones that are coming out this year, um, it feels like everyone is trying to kind of like delve into issues that people face in real life. It's it's less of like um, books that feel like a Hallmark movie where kind of like nothing bad ever happens. And it's a lot of romance books that are dealing with mental health issues and um, physical issues and all of these things that people really do have to go through. And it's such a, it's such a hard line to walk because a lot of these books are rom-coms, uh, emphasis on the comedy part. And so you really have to find that balance of like, okay, I want to talk about this issue and address it and make people feel seen, but how do I do that without kind of, uh, changing the tone? And I just think Alexis is so good at, um, at figuring that out well there's a great um premise that's like uh i don't really know what to call it but it's like an idea um sociology wise called the darkness which is like that you get to that you understand like the darkness of a struggle and then you get to make fun of it and you get to be like you get to like because you know the struggle and Mm -hmm. the difficulties of something you get to be the one who makes fun of it and points out how ridiculous it is. Like the, um, the Richard Pryor being on fire thing because he's so high. Like he gets to make that joke because he's struggling with drug addiction. This is all being stolen from a ContraPoints video on YouTube. I love her so much. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but she does like philosophy no, stuff. I'll have to check it out. I'll send you a link, um, but she's just yeah, amazing. There are people who are very like, you know, divided on her because any trans person on the internet existing is very controversial. Um, and you know, people are imperfect. Um, but she has just, she's just so very brilliant. Uh, I'm, I'm secretly in love with her and it's not a secret. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's I think, really interesting. I think you're right about that though. Um, and like, so there's you, like a lot of feel that yeah. there's like, you can really see that like this person has, I mean, I'm not one to speculate on any author's personal life just because I think that's a little icky, but like just, you know, existing as a person who falls into certain categories, like people who are disabled have certain experiences that like I would definitely not want to write about without consultation, even though like I am, I'm kind of disability adjacent. I'm not, I wouldn't identify as disabled myself. And so like, if I were to write a book where I'm like, you know, making a joke or using a word that I'm not sure is cool, like I would send it to like a, a, like, you know, a sensitivity reader or something. Like, I think 
it's so amazing to see all these books coming out, like you said, that are kind of tackling heavier subjects, but a lot of them are identifying as like, you know, being more toward the comedy side of the romance genre. And I think finding that balance is very tightrope you know? Yes, I do. Um, And I, you know, like, um, that's, I think why I admire this book so much, just because it, it really does, it deals with real life issues, like uh, stereotypes and, um, everything that comes with that and it it deals with it in a way where I'm I'm still like laughing pretty much every page except for maybe when his dad comes in but even when his dad comes in there are really funny parts like when they meet in the bar and his dad has like clearly picked a place that's very familiar to him and uh is is incredibly selfish and Alexis shows that in really funny ways even though I, I really the character of the father was maybe the only character where I was like I don't I don't love this guy but the premise of his father is that he's basically like a judge on a you know British idol kind of show and he's like a former rock star and um that whole premise is hilarious too and I was I was listening in the car this morning to the scene where like um Luke calls his dad for the first time to try and connect with him and his dad's manager picks up the phone and is just telling Luke like yeah right you're his kid like everyone who calls here is either his kid or they want to sleep with him and he the manager has this line where the manager's like you know it unless you have like tits that are hotter than the way that your voice makes them sound like I'm not putting you through and it's just like these little lines that I'm like it's just like it's perfect it's like this levity that he brings to every single scene and I think that like there's really different kinds of humor too like it's difficult to write like there's a really strong voice here and like the dialogue for for Luke has a specific sound but um for like Oliver for example he's very like dry and like I mean also just deeply anxious his humor is like a lot of the humor is in finding him like him realizing that he's either put his foot in it or feeling as though he has, even though he's perfectly fine. Um, and then Luke has his own kind of um, like deeply, you know, critical humor about himself and about other people. Like, you know, he's, yeah, he's got his own. self-deprecating and um, yeah, super yeah. insecure. But he also realizes how that later, and like he really goes through a lot in this book. I feel like one of the things he I does. admire about it is that it's, it's a long rom-com. Like rom-coms are usually, I feel like, like 250 to 320 pages. I think this one was longer. I am not exactly certain. But like, it is a long book. So yeah. much is jammed in here and it doesn't feel stuffed. It feels like exactly right. Yeah. And I do feel like to your point, like Luke definitely has the most, most things thrown at him. It's like he's dealing with his dad's cancer diagnosis he's about to be fired from his job he has to find a boyfriend to make him look better um what else gets thrown his way I guess just like the deep insecurity he feels and also he gets kind of like hammered in the press because he is this famous rock star's son and has had issues with like drinking and partying and all of this stuff so he goes on a journey the deepest problem that Luke has is, you know, this is a very like um, man versus self plot. I think like his, his deepest mm. like problems are inside with his inability to trust other people, which is totally like valid. All of his problems 
are, are not totally self-created because of course the world is not a great place for a lot of people, particularly young gay men who are on the edge of the spotlight, I would say. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much any gay person in the spotlight is going to have a pretty difficult time. Like everyone's going to be overly critical. Everyone's going to have something to say about it and an opinion, but like not really having a super powerful platform of his own. Like he's famous for being related to famous people, mm-hmm. um, his mom and his dad, although his mom, I think, you know, she's more of a recluse than his dad is. And his dad, like now having a resurgence of fame means that the spotlight on him is is going to be critical and like looking for similarities and trying to like find a way, like trying to find a story even where there is no, like he's a perfectly ordinary guy going through a five-ish year depression cycle. Like I think mm-hmm. really, this is a really like big mental health book, even though like it's kind of soft on that. Like, it's not like he's like, I'm going to go to therapy now and get on medication, but it's like, he really doesn't, he has to pull himself out of a depression that has been going on for like such a long time, like a really yes. long downward spiral. I think they show that well, like through his apartment, because his apartment is kind of like um, an extension of his mental space where it's like he, his apartment is like covered in filth. Like he has takeout containers everywhere. It's like too disgusting for Oliver to sleep at even. And so when it's like throughout the book as he's figuring out who he is more and who he wants to be and what he wants to achieve um, and to kind of be the best version of himself for Oliver, like his apartment gets progressively better and cleaner and he starts like taking care of not only himself, but his space. Um, And you kind of see this like, this physical manifestation of, of his mental health too through through where he's living and like the care he's taking um, to make sure that he's well taken care of. And so that's yeah. a really interesting part too. And I think he does like, he does think that he deserves to live like that. I think at some point he literally does say like, mm-hmm. I thought I deserve to be in this because that's like right. he thinks the worst things of himself because, you know, people have said really terrible things about him and he has all of this like deep, um, you know, thorny pain. I love to refer to it like about this betrayal that he experienced. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I love, I actually think about Oliver a little bit. I think of him as kind of a Mr. Darcy. He's kind of a Mr. Darcy. Yes. Like, yeah. He that's has why such Darcy I was vibes. Bridget Jones vibes too, because I was like, oh, this is totally um, Mr. Mr. Darcy, even in Bridget Jones. Um, and like Luke is Bridget. Like Luke is the mess and Oliver is the put together barrister. Um, and I was, you know, like, I really like that kind of grumpy sunshine vibe. And I, I think, um, Alexis does that a lot in, in his books. Um, and I'm, I'm doing that right now too. In my second book, it's like a really fun dynamic to, to write. And it's also a really, it's like, you see, I loved when we would see Oliver becoming more playful because of Luke, like when they start sending dick pics to each other and it's like photos of famous Richards, famous (laughs) people named Richard or whatever. But I was like, oh, this is like, of course, this is what a little barrister would would text would be like these photos of of famous Richards. But I, I really enjoyed seeing him like open up and like laugh and enjoy life because of Luke. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. And I liked that it was kind of a, it wasn't just like a physical slow burn. It was like an emotional slow burn. There isn't just a mm-hmm. moment where their feelings like hit them in the face. Although there is like, you know, the realization. there is the like, <laughs> there's just like slowly that they're like, 
oh, I, I missed you. Oh, I, I wanted to spend time with you. Oh, like there's like, it's very mm-hmm. slow creeping in, like very slow edging together of like, just very like, um, it's like, you know how trees can walk? It's like that, like how these, these two trees are walking to each other very, very slowly. Aww, and I, love and I loved that because like they're just both so closed up emotionally for, for different reasons, obviously. Like it, I think we get the impression. I love the impression that we get that Oliver is so put together and that ultimately uh-huh. he, he isn't. Like I love that it's, you know, yeah. he, he manifests his anxiety and his problems very differently. And like the understanding yeah. we get that like, you know, even people who appear put together and who really seem like they've got their they're like adult shit happening ultimately like everybody yeah totally I Oliver was such an interesting character because like we don't see him as much obviously the book is really from from Luke's POV but um Oliver like meeting his family was really fascinating and and getting to see where he came from and why he is the way he is and I, I think one of the details that I latched on to was like you know, he's very much a vegetarian and he does it like for these, um, you know, humanitarian reasons that he says or whatever, but it comes out that he's kind of like his entire life been doing different forms of punishment to himself because he feels that he is not the perfect child or not the perfect son um, and kind of just like restricts himself in various ways to, to manifest that. But to that point of what you were saying earlier about this, like walking this kind of mental health line, like you kind of see how his upbringing has affected who he is. Oh yeah. And I mean, I think that it's funny because I see a little bit of myself in both of them um, Mm -hmm. because I feel like together they kind of point, paint a picture of like different ways that you deal with trauma and narcissistic abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. Like for, Oliver it's all very self-contained he's like oh well I'm just clearly not good enough and ultimately that is going to pan out in your relationships and make your life worse because no matter how perfect you try to make yourself you're ultimately always going to be emotionally sabotaging your life um and so that's like you know none of his relationship we don't know a lot about former former boyfriends of his but like you know ultimately when you're in a relationship with someone who isn't you know, emotionally whole, you're going to get to a point where you're like, oh, this person cannot give me what I need. And like, you know, maybe those guys weren't also bad. Maybe just Oliver wasn't in a place to emotionally be present. I was and just trying to think, I was like, have I ever dated an Oliver in my life? <laughs> I feel like a lot, of, a lot of people have this problem because like, especially with heterosexual men, you do have yeah. that like, I'm going to hold all of my feelings right here. And then one day I'll die to quote John Mulaney. Well, um, see, I'm a Capricorn. So I think I might be the Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> I, just... but I, under- I understand like the Oliver of like, we're deeply normal. Nothing is wrong here. Don't look behind the curtains. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's also like the, um, like the, um, oh shoot. I've forgotten the protagonist's main- name. Luke. <laughs> Luke. It yeah, just took yeah, me yeah. a minute. I, um, well, he's also known as Lucien in the book, so it's yeah, Lucien, the, the yeah. beautiful French. It's it's very. I like that he has kind of like um like an interesting background. I feel like that's really thoughtful the way that she developed. I feel like there could be a whole book about just Alexis writing about the parents, but that's yeah, how you know his mom like, in particular. <laughs> oh yeah, I feel like I want I want Odile's like little. I want her her diatribe, but yeah. <laughs> for for Luke, he's like 
he's got like I'm gonna hold all my trauma right here and it's gonna explode constantly and like he's just he's like a chaotic mess just because he he's like crying out for help essentially but you know nobody can really do it for you although I love I I know we talked briefly about the friend group I love the friend group um I think some characters are more realized than others I love Bridget deeply partially because of like the you know the satirization of the publishing industry Priya in particular is just so funny funny. I love Priya so I love her so much she stole every scene I think like she didn't have that many moments in the book but every moment that she had was like her scene even if there were other people it felt like Oh yeah, Priya is just she's a queen. I adore. Like yeah. she like the particularly the joke about um like pie, like the the pie joke where she's like, "Yes, my Muslim family would take a pork pie <laughs> and then when we were finished not eating it, we would take it back home and give it to the Jewish family." <laughs> I was like, "Yep, that's exactly what it's like." Like and also, you know, the idea of like being a bad Muslim, like I have Muslim family, um, I'm Jewish. And mm-hmm. so like, I'm very familiar with like that. I don't eat pork, but I do eat food that isn't kosher. Um, yeah. I can't tell you why. I don't know myself. <laughs> and my husband will be like, why are you willing to eat lasagna, but not octopus? And I'm like, it's we icky. make our I choices. Can't. <laughs> we make our you know, choices. I, I can't explain it. It's a mess. Um, but you know, <laughs> so like, I really love Priya. I think that like, a lot of the time when you're writing about white characters and that you have an ethnic bestie, it can come off as kind of being like a character that only really exists for others. But because of the characters in this book are so well realized, that never right. happens. Like Tom is black and he's just kind of there. And like he and he has yeah. this like, like he, he and Bridget have this kind of thing with Luke where like he feels a little bit of, you know, man envy of like, Bridget having this boyfriend that he initially went out with and like that's a whole thing that like gives their character something to have like I just I think know. this book is, is so intricate it's like I know a tapestry <laughs> really or a masterpiece I know everything I think it's just like every line I uh, never felt like a throwaway line and it's a really long book so <laughs> it's sort of like you like I I didn't want any of the sections to ever be cut you know what I mean it felt like um a lot of um critique I'll see sometimes of romance books are like you know they want to just be with the main characters and they want to or like this feels like filler right and none of it felt like filler to me even though like maybe technically it was because it's not like they're focused on the the love uh developing in some of the scenes but it's just so fun and a pleasure to read like everyone's journey um and how they help um Luke and Oliver kind of reach their their ultimate relationship because a lot of times when he is when Luke is with his friends like they are commenting on the state of him and I think maybe that's part of why it doesn't always feel like filter or filler um like you know they'll say like you're wearing a shirt that doesn't have stains today. Like what's going, what's new with you or, you know, whatever. They kind of like comment on like his changing attitude, appearance, all of that in a way that helps to grow the story. Well, and like part of the romance is that like both of them coming to understand themselves better and coming to understand each other. And so part of that is them dealing with their own personal problems. So like, it's not, Mm -hmm. I think filler can only really be applied not when it's something to like make the story bigger or longer to fill pages. Filler to me is only when something is obvious that they're to take up space. 
and everything yeah. like even the road trip which felt completely out of nowhere that I was like oh there's a road trip that's weird like even yeah. that felt as though it belonged in the story and it was ultimately like like this kind of comes across to me as like a little bit of a comedy of errors like yeah except that like I feel like yeah, yeah. it's it's so serious at parts like the errors at sometimes are very serious but yeah, yeah. I'm I'm such a fan oh I'm so glad yeah this is I you know you would ask me like what is your favorite recent book or whatever and and this is definitely it for me and I like it's one of these books where I'm like is this my favorite book of all time and I'm like maybe it is but it's so (laughs) weird because I only discovered it like maybe two or three years ago like whenever it first came out and so it feels weird that like you know my favorite book would be this recent but it is just so good and every time I read it I discover something new or it feels fresh, like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm kind of slogging through it. So, and I am happy to report that like Alexis's other books are equally as like funny and um, witty and interesting. So, you know, I haven't read all of them. (laughs) The the couple I've read, I've been like, oh, I, I just love this author is what it is. I like love Alexis. Well, I will definitely, I mean, I have Rosalind Palmer in my bag, so I'll be reading that one next. And then I will definitely look into more just because the voice of it is so strong. And oh, I mean, so I loved good. everything about it. It's such a great, it might be one of my favorites, definitely that I've read. I haven't read much this year because I've been, you know, dealing with the dragons. Um, Life. But, you know, like it's, it's been, it's been a rough couple of years, but, um, you know, you like, they there have been some really great ones that have been out recently. And for me, this was just like, oh, a horse of a different color. So good. I know it's so good. I, I will say, I, I think I mentioned this, but something fabulous is Alexis's newest book. And it's really just like, if you want just pure fun, it is so wonderful. I will definitely look into that one because I think I have an arc laying around somewhere. I yeah, have, I'm great. so disorganized. A lot of people are like, I've got my spreadsheet and I'm like, I adore you. You you are working so hard. You're doing so great, sweetie. I can't. That's so str- I love spreadsheets too. I'm a big spreadsheet person. But like I I really I have this problem where I can't make myself read things if I'm not in the mood for it, which is difficult because yeah. it is kind of my job. <laughs> I know. You know, so I kept seeing this thing floating around on the internet where people were kind of like, you know, at the end of the year roundups where people are like, I read 300 books in a year and it's kind of stressful and um there were people who were like you know it's okay to just like read one good book a year and just like enjoy a book like there's a difference between like taking your time and enjoying a book and reading it when you want and just kind of like that power through mode of like I just need to do this to, to get my book count done and I don't think either is wrong um but there, there, it's like two camps. It feels like it's like the camp where people are just powering through and reading all of the books. And then the camp where it's like, I'm just going to read what it, when I would like to. Yeah, I think it's, it is a difficult like line to walk because, you know, I've always prided myself on being a very fast reader on being a very thorough reader on being widely read, but there are so many books. I know it's tough. <laughs> And I think with social media too, you just keep getting served more and more recommendations. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be like, oh, did you like this author? Well, maybe you should follow this author on Twitter. They have a new book out. (laughs) You should go read it. And I'm like, gosh darn, I do want to now. Oh, (laughs) 
and like especially like at work i've got a display up for um for romance because it is february and when we're recording this um and so i've been so excited and like seeing people take things out and having conversations with readers and it's been so amazing and such a great time and um the problem is that I'll place holds and stuff and I'll be like, oh, this will go in the, in the display. Nope. It's coming home with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good perk of the job, actually. Well, what's great is that, you know, I am, I'm actually thinking about trying to do a, like, a, just a little bit of research and figure out, like, because um, we can easily see which books circulate the most but I'm interested oh, to cool. see which books circulate the most per copy that we have. Because when I look up, you know, just regular trade romance books, like um, the more modern ones, like the, the contemporaries go out more, certainly. Um, because after a couple of years, unless you've got somebody going through a backlist somewhere, like you're not going to have someone putting like the five Mary Balois that came out in like 2005. They're not going to like go out as much. <laughs> But right. it is really interesting. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, how I can show, like, hey, we need to buy more of these. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, we yeah. do have, like, a lot of copies of certain books. Like, we've got so many um, of, like, really specific ones that are very popular. Like, anything that's on the bestseller list will have a, a decent amount. But books that still circulate a lot we will just have like a couple copies and I'm like we need more of this Tessa Dare book because it's going to go out five times and then it's going to be completely trashed <laughs> right yeah what happens to a book when it's like reached its end <laughs> what do you do well, with them it, it really depends there's a couple different um and I and, and this is going to be very unpopular with certain people but there's a couple <laughs> different avenues um there is the book that hasn't been out we call this a dead item something that hasn't been out in a long time it's just sitting on the shelf uh-huh. taking up space and you yeah. think that, like just having something would add value to your collection but ultimately having books that don't move on your shelf gives off um a vibe essentially yeah <laughs> and also taking up space like that space costs money um yeah like that could be mm-hmm. a book could be there that is circulating and that is bringing value to the collection so that's what we call yeah. a dead item and if it's in good condition it will get deleted from the catalog and sent away to uh we use better world books and they essentially sell um they, they take all the covers and all the labels off and they sell the books as used and so then they go on to have a second life with somebody else it um, sort of sounds like those like you know what ha- what happens to these like cows when they get put out that when they've served their per and they get sent to those like little like fun uh farms for cows where they just like get to roam the fields and enjoy their life yeah it's like (laughs) a retired racing dog it goes to a nice home upstate (laughs) and then um there's another path which is for the items that are like i mean pretty much any item that is so damaged that it, it really can't be read anymore like water damage I've definitely kept books in my personal collection that are sentimental that like I I definitely still read them like I have a totally waterlogged old copy of the lightning thief that I keep Mm. that I would not keep on the shelf at work um and like if it's something is water damaged it's pretty much trash because that is um harbingers of worse to come (laughs) if there's mold uh it's trash if there's the binding is falling apart and can't be glued it's trash yeah if the cover is torn pretty much in any direction like if it's coming off unless it's just like a little nick off the corner we've gotta take an exacto knife to it and put it in the recycling bin and like i don't love that but it is policy Yeah, and unfortunately, wow. books are not sacred objects. Um, there are some the books scenes. that are like 
very close to my heart, but like occasionally it's very rabid on library Twitter. If you've ever been to that corner of the internet, people will take a photo of like a, a trash can full of library books and been like, I can't believe this is happening in our America. And I'm like, I bet you a hundred dollars <laughs> that is old books on like how to run Microsoft XP. And like, <laughs> you know, like uh, a book about how to really use a sewing anymore. machine that hasn't right. like that, that's been out of service. They don't have anymore. Like, right. We are, we're not like, you know, angry shush librarians for the most part. I've rarely met librarians I don't like. We're we're a happy bunch, but like, you know, we do have to do our job and a part of our job is keeping the collection alive. Like, it's not like the Library of Congress. I wish in some ways that we could keep more, but you know, there's, some Um, things do have a second life online. Like there are a lot of really great books that um, we just don't have in hard copy anymore that are online in our ebook collection. Man, I, yeah, I'm getting a, a peek behind the curtain. You know, I, I have a friend who's a librarian here and she, she's like a, a children's librarian. And I was just so going to say, God's work. I mean, she, she loves it. And if you ever come out to LA, Jeff Goldblum used to do this um, thing every Wednesday night at a, at a bar in LA where he would do a piano set and he would kind of go around the room and ask people like what they did for a living. And he asked my friend what she did. And she said she was a librarian and he is obsessed with librarians. He like <laughs> loves librarians. He did, he did like maybe three or four songs inspired by librarians because of her. He like started singing <laughs> all of these things. So anyways, any librarians out there should go check out Jeff. Go Goldberg's find Jeff. Track he loves librarians. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's a really wonderful profession. I think that like what really speaks to me about it a lot of the time is the freedom of information and like the the desire to make sure that, you know, everybody has equitable access because that's a real big problem these days. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of always has been. Um, and part of that is, you know, like I think there is a lot of censorship in like what books don't get bought because there's like soft banning and hard banning which I mean we're all aware of what's been going on lately with hard book bans but soft book banning is essentially when books just they just don't happen to be in the collection for some reason I have no idea why that would be Mm -hmm. and so like I feel like a lot of like there's been a push in the last couple of years to really there's actually a seminar that I'm taking which is about like basically decolonizing your collection and trying to make it more racially diverse uh, which I think is super important we don't have that problem as much I work for the DC public library system and so okay um we have I mean especially I was also I'm a product of DC library school of DC public schools so like we have pretty robust uh racial justice education pretty robust systems um but you know even so like we're not perfect um like you know we've got copies of Jordan B. Peterson's books like everybody else (laughs) so you know, I mean, not to go on too much of like a sanctimonious library is a very important rant, but you know, I think if you are particularly a romance reader and you want to borrow library books uh, that are romance, our ebook collections are huge. Um, we even have yeah. physical books if you're not, you know, I mean, don't be embarrassed, but if you are embarrassed, you can use ebooks. It's totally fine. I give you permission formally. It's really, it's really amazing how good things are these days, especially because like even 10 years ago when I first started reading ebooks, like, it wasn't as good as it is now in terms of selection. Right. Yeah. I mean, most of my books do come from checking them out of the library to my Kindle. So I, I appreciate your work. Oh yeah. And I mean, all those numbers do get like those, those numbers mean we buy more of those books. Like right. all of, 
like all of that factors in and libraries are actually amongst the first people who do get books like bookstores are important and I'm not gonna like say that we rival I guess what's an exigent bookstore Burns and Noble still exists um we're not like rivals with Amazon or whatever but if you put all the libraries in the country together just in the U.S. like we are we have a lot of purchasing power and like I'm not saying we Mm -hmm. make decisions and and things like that but a lot of like the decisions that you make as a consumer of library content drives what we buy and so I'm always going to tell people like don't feel guilty about not being able to buy books or about not wanting to definitely utilize your library because it does help it it decides who we invite to do talks you know like there's there are deeper ramifications for which books you check out (laughs) although Mm. we don't track just FYI to everyone most libraries do to um because the FBI could come knocking and ask what books people (laughs) have this is a thing we talk about in library school, actually. And so we just erase everything. As soon as something wow. is off your personal record, we just completely pretend it never happened. And it, it is deleted from our computer system that you ever borrowed it because we don't want to have to release anything to the, the police if should they come by. Wow. That's why. <laughs> I know. I mean, like, just tune in for, for romance novels and library ethics. It's a fun party. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, children's librarians, though, just to, to give like a side, like fist pump to my, my brothers and sisters in arms, they are so hardworking. Our children's department is so amazing. And like, I can't do it, unfortunately, because I discovered something in high school, which is that when I read children's books, I cry every single time, no matter whether it's sad or happy. I'll just be like, oh, yeah. he's in his snowsuit and he can't yeah. play with the big boys. <laughs> It is funny how, you know, I have a two-year-old and so she's starting to get really into books that have like longer passages and more of a story. And a lot of them are really emotional. (laughs) Um, There was one that we just bought and it's like a giraffe who has lost her father. (laughs) It's like all about her trying to get her dad back and it's really intense. So I get that. Oh my gosh. I I can't imagine. I mean, like, there's some that are like, oh, it's the monster at the end of this book. That's totally fine. But I remember yes. when I was like maybe five, my mom would read this book to me about the Great Depression and about like this. It's called The Gardener. Um, and it's about this little girl who gets sent away to the big city so that like because her family really they have a farm, but they can't like afford to feed her during all this. And her uncle oh has a bakery Lord. and like my mom would cry and be like, read the story. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> read the story, mom. I want to know what happens, even though, you know, I know what happens at the end, but like, yeah. read the story. And then at the end, like reading it as an adult, because I have it, I have it here. And she's just reading it as an adult. I'm like, oh, her uncle loves her so much, even though he's a very reserved man. And then she goes home to her grandma, like legitimately just bawling. Like, I'm going to have to resolve this because I'm not a mother yet, but someday I will have children and I want to be able to read to them and like not Good just luck, books that girl. are upset. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm such know. a crier too. We're both criers in this family. We'll yeah. sob over anything. It's a problem. Yeah. Good luck. I don't, I don't have any advice. It just, it's, <laughs> it's not easy. Like I am, I am such a crier. It's like, oh, Rapunzel, the, the like the lanterns are for you. Like that's, <laughs> I am such a crier. But yeah, I mean, one of the things just to like circle back to romance um, from all of our fun tangents, I, um, I love, this is kind of a, not really enemies to lovers, but kind of like a disgruntled acquaintances. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And, it you know, is. Fake I mean, it has a lot of, yeah. I mean, fake relationship is my 
favorite trope and it's a really hard one to do um oh I totally agree and so I thought that this one was done pretty well you know in terms of like oh yeah I understand why they each need each other and why it's important and all of that but that that's definitely a a favorite trope of mine oh yeah I love fake relationship I think that it it's really difficult to make it work in a contemporary romance um but I think that it really works here just because um there's a a tenable reason for it and then as things go on the fiction is sort of gently stripped away of like oh well we really do like each other but let's Mm -hmm. continue as we're doing to not put pressure on it um and I think that they like for people who really have trouble communicating initially they do very well with each other later on and you see that especially through the texting yes yeah which I thought was realistic you know it's like I don't really call people that often anymore, except for you. I called you today. Oh, um, yeah. And I appreciate but... that. Yeah, I don't, I think that if, <laughs> I mean, this, and this goes back to my personal stuff, which is if I receive a phone call that I'm not expecting and it's not from one of three or four people, I assume somebody has died. Like that is, oh, yeah. that is fully yeah. what has happened in my head. Yeah. My dad and I almost exclusively text, except for FaceTime calling with my daughter. And uh, if he calls, I'm like, oh, Lord, what happened to mom? What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, unexpected phone calls are like, there's like four people who I expect to call me because like, that's the people who call me at any given time. Yeah. And otherwise, it could be literally anything. And you know, you got your spam calls as well. But those, you know, you you can just hit ignore on that. (laughs) It'll stop your heart. Oh yeah. Oh, totally. Um, like, oh no. Did I forget something? Am I supposed to be somewhere? Who's dead? <laughs> yep. Yep. I guess slow burn is also what this book is like slow burn, yes, fake dating, kind of grumpy sunshine. Oh yeah. Um, Except it's, it's grumpy sunshine who is actually deeply depressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. And you've also Grumpy got a little proud. bit of like, um, you've also got a little bit of a like class differences. I don't know what you what you'd call that, but like, because you know he's despite growing up with money, um, mm-hmm. like Luke is pretty firmly like working class kind of guy, like very chill. Yeah, yeah. Maybe because it's the British thing. I just get thinking of like Regency romances sometimes, where I was like, I was like, well, this is like it almost felt sort of like um, again like Mister Darcy. Um, oh yeah the class system there is very weird yeah yeah so I think that's Um, a part of it yeah totally I love um like fake dating and fake relationship so like it was really fun to read that and I think your I mean I think I know your book for better or worse is is a fake relationship (laughs) fake dating yeah what was what's so that's your favorite trope like what's the what got you started in romance like what was like the first I mean even like your first romance love aside from this one of course like books that you really yeah. love, like tropes that you really you know, love. I really, I tried to cram a lot of the tropes that I loved into this first book. So um, fake dating, enemies to lovers. I, I do, it's funny because like, I don't think I've ever personally been in an enemies to lovers situation or fake dating, but <laughs> for some reason reading them in a book, I'm like, oh, this is fabulous. And like the people I've dated, I've never hated them. Uh, started out like hating them or thinking of them as my enemy (laughs) Um, but it is really fun to write that dialogue and um, other tropes that you know I I'm writing uh, my second book right now and so I'm I'm doing friends to lovers and that's a trope that I really like 
reading. Um, and, and also weirdly, like, I don't really think I've ever had a friends to lovers relationship in my life. I'm either dating you or I'm not dating you. Um, but I like, I like reading about it. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like those are probably my top three friends to lovers, enemies to lovers, fake dating. How about you? Um, well, I would say I love, um, I love all of those really. Um, I love fake dating. It really depends on the situation. Uh, I love enemies or rivals as we clarified in our previous episode Uh. with, uh, with Becca, um, to lovers. And I also just, I really just love any situation of forced proximity. Like I talked about with her just because like, I, I love it when people who either don't like each other or don't know each other really have to reckon with like their previous notions of each other. It's one of the reasons I love Pride and Prejudice so much which is, it's probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite books of all time in its many yeah. iterations um, because really there's this endless interpretations of it. Um, people don't like remakes. The only remakes that I like are of Jane Austen <laughs> um, yeah. because it's really like, there's no stopgap to it. You can keep going forever. Um, yep. But I'd say that like, Pippin, no, microphone, not for you. Sorry, baby. Oh, Sorry, I baby. heard a purr. How cute. Oh, well, maybe I'll keep the purr in. He's such a sweet boy. <laughs> he wants to be a part cute. of the action. A good cameo. What's your favorite trope, Pippin? His favorite trope is sleepy mom. (laughs) He gets to sleep on mom. Yeah, I'd say his his favorite trope is um, best friends with his brother. He loves to just play and fight and then snuggle. Yeah, I think that's that's a good one too. It's probably a fair assessment. Um, Of course, you'd have to expect that he knows what the word trope means because like I said, nothing between those ears. My cat is very stupid. (laughs) Sweet, stupid boy. Um, But I'd say that like, favorite I also really just love um well I mean I guess one of my favorite romance novels that isn't a romance novel is like the princess bride which I really think resists characterization like you can't like is it fate is it just like first love like what does it even count as I do love second you know I've never read I've never read the book I've never read the princess bride the book I've only seen the movies I should read the book I highly recommend the book. I have like a really yeah. ancient, like I think it's like a third edition because that's how old it is. Copy wow. of it from like I think my mom bought it in like the seventies or something. Like it's a million that years ago. Cool. It's such a great book. It's different in a lot of ways than the movie, but I think it's one of those things. Of, have you read *Howl's Moving Castle*, the book? Yes. Have you seen the movie? No. So when you read the book and watch the movie, it's a very different experience, but the story is told in a very good way. And obviously there's like some Miyazaki elements, like he's very anti-war for obvious reasons. And so, I mean, war bad, but also for personal stuff having to do with, you know, being Japanese. Um, And so like when you watch the movie, there's parts of the book, like elements of the book that have been kind of switched out for other things, but they both work to tell the story in different ways. Mm-hmm. So that's how I kind of feel about the Princess Bride movie in the book. I feel like they both convey a lot of the stuff that I love from each other, but they're just fundamentally different. Okay, I'm just going to have to uh, check it out then. Yeah, I recommend you read that book and watch that movie. Just just switch it up. <laughs> okay. But like, okay. I, cool. I, love, I love a good love story of many varieties. I'd say that like, I've been really into Regency lately just because I need comfort and it's been a rough year and a half. Yeah, so, like, I've you know, I've gotten like, into fantasy weirdly. Um, maybe oh, not weirdly, but I am reading the accord, like all of the Sarah J. Moss books. Um, a Court of Thorns and Roses, I think, is what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, I read, I read the first one, and I need to get through the other ones. I read most of her yeah. other series, and I need to finish it because, like, ultimately, I do want to like have read all of it, and I do enjoy it. It's just really thick books. <laughs> 
Yeah, they're really long. I've been I've been listening on audiobook, but it's been helpful because um, it just kind of takes you to a different place <laughs> where I'm like, I know this isn't real, but it's great to escape into this other world. Um, and so, yeah, I'm on I'm on book two right now. Oh, great. I'll have to get into that as well. And we can read them simultaneously, but it will take oh, me a long time. That. So rest assured. I know, it- <laughs> I know it's really long. But, but I do, I, I do it. buzz through them. I love YA for that. I mean, I know that she meant to write them as adult books and they kind of got thrown into YA, but like, I love books that are kind of like YA and written for young audience. They were meant audience. to be, did you say they were meant to be YA? No, they were meant to be oh adult God. and they like sandwiched oh, okay. them into Thank YA. Goodness. Yeah, because yeah. it, it's very adult. Oh yeah, I mean, There's I don't like, like to parts. underestimate young people, but there is a lot of content in there that I'm like, I don't want my, like, if, if I were, should have a 14-year-old, although, God, I'd be awfully young to do so. Like, I didn't, I wouldn't want a 14-year-old to read that. And, like, there's, I think no. a lot of people, like, confuse age groups with censorship, which I, a lot of people in my field are like, oh, well, we shouldn't have that. I'm like, no, we should have it in a specific area. There's a place for yeah. that. And, like, everyone gets pointed to the place they're supposed to be. And if they feel like they can read something else, that's fine. But, like, I don't really love the idea that, like, the um the quarter of thorns and roses books and like all of them are sitting right next to the throne of glass books which are definitely written for young adult audience you know yes yeah yeah when i, I read she has books, a new one out she has a new one um she's got like the the house of the yeah you're right Crescent, and then there's a new uh-huh. second one coming out because she was just on uh faded mates for that i think oh cool oh that's great yeah yeah, yeah I so mean, i'll i'll be uh i'll be listening to sarah j moss for the rest of the year <laughs> yeah i'm definitely gonna have to like finish that because I do want to like kind of bookend it so I can start new things like I always feel like when I'm in the middle of one series I have to like finish it before I start a big new series project (laughs) Uh uh-huh yeah and I always feel like there's a really wonderful book about uh that I always actually I give as like a read-alike to the throne of glass books which is um uh the his fair assassin books which are um I think the first one is mortal heart and it's about these like daughters of a death deity and like medieval Brittany and France um and it's so cool like it's not the kind of stuff that like I would normally expect to have been written in like the 2010s and I'm like oh wow this is so amazing like it's very like morally gray for teenage girls which I love um yeah and I mean boys too I think that YA gets unfairly you know knocked into the girl space frequently but anyone can read and enjoy it we are a non-binary genre um (laughs) I mean, all genres should be, frankly, but you know how it is. Um, yeah. And so, like, I really love those, but I only read the first one because I um, I did it for a project. And then I just haven't had the time and the discipline to get through it. And, like, I try to make myself feel bad about this stuff because I, like, it, it's hard not to, like, put all of your, like, hobbies into, like, productivity things. Like, I haven't knit anything in, like, a long time, and I'm like, wow, look at you being bad at your hobby that you're supposed to enjoy. Oh, that's impressive. I, I tried to knit, I think, three or four times, and it, it never took. I always ended I up with f- a I feel like some people have, like, people, I think people do get into it at times, but unless you, like, really genuinely enjoy crafting, it, it's difficult, and so it's hard to master. And, like, if you're not, you know, if it does not bring joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I, I'm not good at crafting and I keep trying different things, hoping one of them will take. But in my, in my book too, my, uh, my male heroine is a, a craft talker. So he'll be doing crafts. Well, I mean, you know, keep trying. Maybe you'll find your thing. 
I found that a lot of people like, I mean, you know, we're not dead yet. Give it a shot. I know a friend who like has very limited hand mobility and she was just like, oh, I got a cry cut. This is the coolest thing. And I'm like, great, live your life. Like, you know, there you go. I find that there, there is a craft for most people. I I really enjoy a lot of them. There's a lot of craft paraphernalia in my house. (laughs) Man, amazing. Yeah. But I think that like, it it is also fun to like read. Like if you read um, Love Lettering, Kate Claiborne. Yes. I read that a while ago, but I, I remember it. And it, I remember it really made me reading want to like that become a like, calligrapher. this will never be mine. Yeah, no, there, I read that and I was like, there's literally no way I could do this because my handwriting is like, oh, my like handwriting people is have truly awful. said things to me about it. Yeah. I, I think it was like when I sent out wedding invitations, like people texted me and they're like, did you, are you serious with this? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. That's just how I write. Um, oh, my yeah. boss has literally been like, hey, can you um put this in capital letters for me? Because I, nobody's going to be able to read this. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, Which is fair. It just, it did feel like, okay, I'll get the label maker then. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. My I'll handwriting is best. just, it's total trash. I really probably should put some, uh, cause you know, when you look at everyone, like from a particular, like, I think my grandmother's handwriting in particular is like a beautiful voluminous cursive. And I'm like, this is supposed to be genetic. Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. Right. I used to have handwriting classes and then now I'm stuck with my, my little dead spider. I guess crawl. you're right. Yeah, they did. And then I guess our generation got like typing classes or I don't know what just computer skills oh I'm a terrible I typer I like yeah, I'm a hunter too. and pecker I'm not like a, like I get made fun of constantly <laughs> by multiple people in my life for being like wow you're a really bad typist <laughs> yeah I think I use three fingers total like I don't oh, even, I don't even know hand. I think yeah looking at it now I'm thinking thumb pointer finger and middle finger maybe maybe pinky sometimes I feel yeah, like my, yeah. my ring finger is just hanging there like dead weight. Maybe I should take a typing class. <laughs> it's really hard to not make your hobby. Like, cause I think we have this culture that like is, oh, well, if you do like something then you have to make it into like a whole thing. And if it is a whole thing, then you have to make it productive. And if it is productive, then it has to make money or it has to be like, you know, it's, it's really hard <laughs> to just enjoy. Yeah, something. I think you're right. I do think you're right about that. Um, I took up ukulele purely for pleasure because I was like, I just need a hobby that is not tied to work and is not tied to making money and that I can just do. And so that, that is what I do like for, for just kind of relaxing is like learn a song from a YouTube video on my ukulele. That's great. You know, it's good to have like an artistic outlet. I'm completely tone deaf. So like, I can't even sing without my husband being like, Oh no, but I do it anyway. Cause you know, yeah, joy. I do not sing. I do not sing. Uh, well, I do sing, but it's not, it's not pleasant. Um, well, the great thing about being Jewish is that even if you can't sing, you do. Um, so that like, <laughs> you know, just a chorus of toneless voices and it, you know, it makes you feel something you can just sing in public and nobody's judging you for not sounding good. The people who do sound good get complimented and then you do feel a little bad about it. But it doesn't matter whether you sound good or not, because again, this thing, it's just kind of what we do. That's so I've right. never really felt self-conscious about my, my tone deaf, not quite for public consumption voice until my dreadful husband was like, well, that's not the key at all. And I'm like, tough shit. It's the key we're singing in today. 
I'll just be like singing along to because we we sing Hamilton a lot because we we watched it once and then it immediately became our personalities um and so we know all of the songs <laughs> and so one of us will say a phrase that sounds kind of like something from the musical and then we will just launch into it and he'll be like that's wrong and I'm like tough <laughs> I don't care <laughs> that's right that's right you know it's loving because he's just like oh you'll never change and that's fine I understand <laughs> oh he's, this is a good man oh yeah he's great I often like see the the um because you know there's a lot of romance bad takes online I don't follow that twitter account because I was like this is kind of mean-spirited but there was um there are people who are like wow you'll never the, all these romance heroes are just fake you'll never meet a man like that and I'm like I got a man like that maybe you need to raise your standards <laughs> yeah I um I've really enjoyed this new podcast called uh, Love Struck Daily, which just launched. Oh, yeah, that's that's Alicia Rise, right? Yeah, that's a really nice, uplifting podcast if you want just like pure love stories. Ooh, I will. I will. Because I haven't yet. I have like all of my like, I listen to the My Brother, My Brother and Me and a couple other like funny podcasts that are just like to let me zone out and forget that I like exist in a human body for a little while. Yeah, but I will definitely yeah. get into that because I find that a lot of the time romance podcasts are they talking about books that I haven't read or are um, like talking about tropes that will then go off in directions on books that I haven't read. I don't want to get spoiled. Yeah, no, this one is just interviewing people about how they met, how they fell in love, and it's really heartwarming. They just had oh, Sonali so sweet on and it was very, very cute. Oh, I love her so much. Yeah, I didn't realize she was in an arranged marriage. Oh, I didn't know that either. Although I guess it's, yeah, it it's fairly really, common in some parts of the world. Yeah, it was really interesting. She said that her no one in her immediate family didn't arrange marriage, but she decided to go through with it um, because she wanted to kind of like get her her life going. And she felt like she was not having luck dating. So it was really interesting. I mean, I arranged my own marriage um, and then I met somebody. We dated for five years and then we got married. Um, there you go. But I, I think that a lot of the time people have really interesting love stories. But like in my family, they're really dull. Like my grandparents on my mom's side met in college and then they got married and their moms weirdly became best friends, which is like the cutest Aww. thing ever. They would like ditch the rest of the family to go do stuff together. They'd be like, yeah. we're gonna go back to the Hebrew home. It's late, and be like, okay, bye, Bobby. And then they would go, Aww. and then they would go get Froyo by themselves to gossip about everybody else. <laughs> well, that's that's true love. And then my parents were introduced by a friend, and Aww. then I met my husband in a very romantic place on Tinder. Yeah, I met mine on OkCupid, so I think that's that's the future. It's the wave of the future because there aren't any like. I think that it's happening because like there really just aren't community spaces anymore. Like I feel like a lot of the time most people met like in church or whatever and like or yeah. because you know you all went to the same school in the same town and then you got a job at the same mall and then you got married. Right that's right. I, I did recently read kind of like a second chance romance. It's in I guess an older title but it's like the bromance book club by Alyssa K. Adams. Oh yeah yeah um, yeah. And that's about like a married couple who has to kind of rekindle their spark. But I, I kind of enjoyed that. I was like, I don't read that many romance books involving married couples, but. Oh yeah. Marriage and trouble books are super hard to carry off in my opinion, because you really have to like, okay, these people were in love at one point and got married and have this life together. And then there's a problem mm-hmm. and we have to be able to resolve it in like a way that's right. believable. I think that like, those are just super difficult to write 
because you have to really like it has to really be bought by the the reader it's really quick give me a list of um who is on your like auto buy list right now just authors who you have been just salivating for lately and then I will let you go oh great um you know I I love Tessa Bailey um I'm really excited for I, you know, I read It Happened One Summer and I can't remember the name of the next book that's coming out, but it's coming out in like a month. Oh, Hook, um, Line, and Sinker. I love Thank that you. One. Hook, Line, and Sinker. Such a great, such a great title. Um, Alexis Daria, anything she writes, I will, I will read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I loved Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. And I know that she's got another book in the works. And as soon as that comes out, I will be devouring it so I think those are my top three right now I haven't read her yet I'll have to look her up oh you have to read seven days in June it is really really wonderful I will well thank you so much for joining us this has been so much fun I will keep you updated on how I do on Sarah J Moss and you'll have to let me know about um the movie and that book the house movie, yeah. House movie and the the princess bride book because I want to know yes anything. we both have homework we both have homework. we do that's what, Thank you that's for what every good me. podcast recording comes away with is homework. I'm so glad you could make it. I'm so glad we make this work. And everybody keep an eye out for Aaron's new book, it, For Better or Worse. And it is an enemies to lovers, workplace romance with fake dating. Uh, just a bunch of tropes on top of each other. And it works so well. Why I not? love it so much. I'm so excited. Thank you. And it's got a beautiful cover. Oh, the cover art is just, they're so hot. I had an email exchange with my editor <laughs> and my agent and I was like is it weird that I want to make out with them or <laughs> and they didn't oh, yeah. really respond <laughs> the same way but they were like no they're, they're hot but they're cartoons and I was like okay cool <laughs> I see no problem with that thank you <laughs> well I will hopefully talk to you soon thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you Rachel I just want to thank Erin so much for joining me to record this. It was great fun. I loved reading the book, as you can clearly hear by listening. Um, And for being, unbeknownst to her, the last episode of this first season. I enjoyed making it so much. I wish that I'd had the opportunity to make more episodes. But what I'm really excited to announce is season two of Good Romance, which I am calling, it has a subtitle, very exciting, season two oops all jews um it's been kind of a rough time to be a jewish person lately and i thought why not bring some more jewish joy into the world by having jewish romance writers and readers on fans of the the romance genre who happen to be jewish and writers in the romance genre who write books about being jewish or who don't whatever on to talk about their books and their favorites and i think it will just be so much fun the first episode of season two will be dropping on february 14th valentine's day thematically accurate and the same time that i launched last year thank you so much for tuning in i really do appreciate it and i hope you'll join us for season two oops all jews (laughs) thanks for listening bye bye